0: Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Vanity Fair, William Thackeray's deliciously satirical take on a money-mad society set against the backdrop of the Napoleonic Wars. We're delighted you're back for another novel in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. If this is your first time with us, you can find all the other novels in our series plus new episodes at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads William Thackeray's Vanity Fair.
1: Chapter 15. In which Rebecca's husband appears for a short time. Every reader of a sentimental turn must have been pleased with the scene just described. For what can be prettier than an image of love on his knees before beauty? But when Love heard that awful confession from Beauty, that she was married already, he bounced up from the carpet with fearful exclamations.
2: "'Married? You're joking!'
1: the baronet cried in rage and wonder.
2: "'You're making fun of me, Becky. Who'd ever marry you without a shilling to your fortune?' "'Married?
1: Married?' Rebecca said, in an agony of tears, her voice choking with emotion, her handkerchief up to her eyes, a figure of woe to melt the hardest heart. Oh, oh dear, Sir Pitt, do not think me ungrateful. It is only your generosity that has extorted my secret. Generosity be hanged, Sir Pitt roared out. Who is it? Let me come back with you to the country, sir. "'Let me watch over you as faithfully as ever. "'Don't separate me from dear Queen Scrawley.'
2: "'Ah, that feller has left you, has
1: he?' "'The baronet said, beginning as he fancied to comprehend. "'Well, Becky, come back, if you like. "'Come back as governess. "'You shall have it all your own way.' "'She held out one hand and cried, fit to break her heart. "'So the rascal ran off, eh?' (laughs) never mind Becky, I'll take care of ye. Oh, sir, I would be proud to go back to Queen's Crawley and care for the children and you as formerly. When I think of what you have just offered me, my heart fills with gratitude. I can't be your wife, sir. Let me, let me be your daughter saying which rebecca went down on her knees and taking sir pitt's horny hand between her own soft ones looked up in his face with exquisite pathos when the door opened and miss crawley sailed in mrs firkin and miss briggs who happened by chance to be at the parlor door soon after the baronet and rebecca entered the room had seen accidentally through the keyhole the old gentleman kneeling before the governess, and had heard his proposal. At once Mrs. Firkin and Miss Briggs had streamed up the stairs, rushed into the drawing-room where Miss Crawley was reading, and had given her the astounding news that Sir Pitt was proposing to Miss Sharp. Hence Miss Crawley appeared just at this instant. It is the lady kneeling, and not the gentleman, Miss Crawley said scornfully. "'They told me that you were on your knees, Sir Pitt. "'Do kneel again, and let me see this pretty couple.' "'I have thanked Sir Pitt Crawley, ma'am,' Rebecca said, rising, "'and have told him that I can never become Lady Crawley.' "'Refused him?' Miss Crawley said, more bewildered than ever. "'Briggs and Firkin at the door were wide-eyed with astonishment. "'Yes, (gasps) refused.' Rebecca answered tearfully. "'And am I to understand that you actually proposed to her, Sir Pitt?' the old lady asked. "'Yes,' said the baronet. "'I did. And she refused you?' "'Yes,' Sir Pitt said, grinning broadly. "'It does not seem to break your heart,' Miss Crawley remarked. "'Not a bit.' "'answered Sir Pitt, with a cool good humour, "'which sent Miss Crawley almost mad with bewilderment, "'that an old gentleman should fall on his knees to a penniless governess "'and burst out laughing because she refused to marry him, "'that a penniless governess should refuse a baronet with four thousand a year. "'These were mysteries which Miss Crawley could not comprehend. "'I'm glad you think it good sport, brother.' she continued, groping wildly through this amazement.
2: "'Lamous!' said Sir Pitt. "'Who'd have thought it?
1: (laughs) What a sly little devil!' he muttered, chuckling with pleasure. "'Who'd have thought what?' cried Miss Crawley, stamping her foot. "'Pray, Miss Sharp, don't you think our family good enough for you?' "'When you came in, ma'am,' Rebecca said, "'did I look as if I despised the honour offered to me?' "'Do you think I have no heart? Have you not all loved me and been kind to the poor orphan? "'Oh, my friends, my benefactors, do you grudge me even gratitude, Miss Crawley? "'It is too much. My heart is too full.' (laughs) "'And she sank down in a chair so pathetically that her audience were melted.' "'Whether you marry me or not, you're a good little girl, Becky, and I'm your friend mine,' said Sir Pitt. He walked away, greatly to Rebecca's relief, for her secret was not revealed to Miss Crawley. Putting her handkerchief to her eyes, she went up to her room. While Briggs and Miss Crawley, in high excitement, remained to discuss the strange event, Firkin dived down into the kitchen and talked of it there.' "'And so impressed was Mrs. Furkin with the news "'that she wrote that very night to Mrs. Bute Crawley "'that Sir Pitt has been and proposed for to marry Miss Sharp, "'wherein she has refused him to the wonder of all.' "'The two ladies in the dining-room "'wondered long at Sir Pitt's offer and Rebecca's refusal.' "'Briggs very acutely suggesting that Rebecca must have some previous attachment, "'otherwise no young woman in her senses would ever have turned him down. "'Well, Becky would have made a good Lady Crawley after all,' Miss Crawley remarked, "'mollified by the girl's refusal.' "'She has brains in plenty, and her manners are excellent, now I have formed her. "'She is a Montmorency, Briggs, and blood is something, though I despise it for my part.' "'Briggs agreed, as usual. "'As for an attachment, you poor friendless creatures are always having some foolish tendre,' Miss Crawley said. "'You yourself were in love with a writing-master. "'Oh, don't cry, Briggs. "'It won't bring him to life again. "'I suppose Becky has been silly and sentimental, too. "'Some apothecary or or young curate or something of that sort.' "'Poor thing,' said Briggs, who was thinking of twenty-four years back, "'and that young writing-master whose lock of yellow hair and letters, "'beautifully illegible, she cherished in her old desk upstairs.' "'Poor thing,' she said. "'After Rebecca's conduct,' Miss Crawley said enthusiastically, "'we should do something for her. "'Find out who it is, Briggs. "'I'll set him up in a shop, or or speak to my cousin the bishop, "'and and we'll have a wedding, Briggs, and you shall be a bridesmaid.' Briggs declared that it would be delightful and went up to Rebecca's bedroom to console her and prattle about the offer and the refusal and its cause and to find out who was the gentleman that ruled Miss Sharpe's heart. Rebecca was very kind and affectionate, responded to Briggs gratefully, confessed there was a secret attachment, a delicious mystery. She might perhaps have told Briggs, but five minutes later Miss Crawley appeared. Her impatience had overcome her. She could not wait for Briggs, but came and ordered her out of the room before asking Rebecca what had brought about Sir Pitt's astonishing offer. "'Rebecca said she had long had an idea of his liking for her. "'But, not to mention certain private reasons, "'Sir Pitt's age, station, and habits "'were such as to make a marriage quite impossible. "'Could a woman decently listen to proposals "'when the funeral of the lover's dead wife "'had not actually taken place? "'Oh, nonsense, my dear! "'You would never have refused him "'had I not been someone else!' "'Miss Crawley said. "'Tell me the private reasons. "'What are the private reasons? "'Who is it that has touched your heart?' "'Rebecca cast down her eyes. "'You you have guessed right, dear lady,' she said, "'with a sweet, faltering voice. "'You wonder at one so poor and friendless "'having an attachment, don't you? "'I wish poverty were a safeguard against it.' "'My poor dear child!' cried Miss Crawley, who was always ready to be sentimental. Is our passion unrequited, then? Are we pining in secret? Oh, dear, tell me all, and let me console you. I wish you could, dear madam, Rebecca said in the same tearful tone. Indeed, I need it and she laid her head upon Miss Crawley's shoulder and wept so naturally that the old lady embraced her with almost maternal kindness, vowing that she would do everything in her power to help her. And now, who is it, my dear? Is it that pretty Miss Sedley's brother? Oh, don't ask me now, Rebecca said. You shall know all soon, dear, kind Miss Crawley. Oh, dear friend, may I say so? "'That you may, my child,' the old lady replied, kissing her. "'I can't tell you now,' sobbed Rebecca. "'I am very miserable. "'But, oh, love me always. "'Promise you will love me always.' "'And this promise was solemnly given by Miss Crawley, "'who left her blessing and admiring her "'as a dear, artless, tender-hearted creature.' and now Rebecca was left alone to think over the sudden and wonderful events of the day, and of what might have been. She felt some very sincere and touching regrets that a piece of marvelous good fortune should have been so near her, and that she was obliged to decline it. In this natural emotion, every properly regulated mind will certainly share." What good mother would not commiserate with her? A penniless girl who might have had four thousand a year. What well-bred young person is there in all vanity fair who will not feel for her, getting such an honorable offer just when she could not accept it? But who would have dreamed of Lady Crawley dying so soon?' "'She was one of those sickly women "'that might have lasted ten years, "'Rebecca thought, in the woes of repentance, "'and I might have been my lady. "'Oh, I would have had the townhouse "'newly furnished and decorated. "'I would have had the handsomest carriage in London "'and a box at the opera, "'and I would have been presented at court. "'All this might have been. "'And now, now,' All was doubt and mystery. But Rebecca had too much resolution and energy of character to permit herself much useless sorrow for the past. So she wisely turned her attention towards the future, which was now vastly more important to her, and she surveyed her position and its hopes and chances. In the first place, she was married. That was a great fact, "'She was not so much surprised into revealing it to Sir Pitt "'as induced by a sudden calculation. "'It must have been revealed some day. "'And why not now? "'How Miss Crawley would bear the news was the great question.' Rebecca had misgivings, but she remembered all Miss Crawley had said, her avowed contempt for high birth, her daring liberal opinions, her general romantic nature, her doting attachment to her nephew, and her affection for Rebecca herself. She is so fond of her nephew, Rebecca thought, that she will forgive him anything. She is so used to me that I don't think she could be comfortable without me. When the revelation comes, there will be a scene and hysterics and a great quarrel and then a reconciliation. At all events, the die was cast, and so Rebecca debated in her mind the best means of giving the news to Miss Crawley and whether she should face the storm or fly and avoid it until its first fury was blown over. In this state of meditation— She wrote the following letter. Dearest friend, the great crisis which we have debated about so often is come. Half my secret is known, and now is the time to reveal the whole mystery. Sir Pitt came to me this morning and (laughs) made—what do you think?—a declaration. Think of that. Poor little me. I might have been Lady Crawley instead of— Oh, I tremble when I think how soon we must tell all. Sir Pitt knows I am married, but not to whom, and is not displeased as yet. Your aunt is actually angry that I should have refused him, but she is all kindness and graciousness, and says I would have made him a good wife. She will be shaken when she first hears the news, but need we fear anything beyond a momentary anger?' "'I think not. "'She dotes upon you so, you naughty good-for-nothing man, "'that she would pardon you anything, "'and I believe that she would be miserable without me. "'Oh, dearest, we shall conquer. "'You shall leave that odious regiment, "'quit gaming, racing, and be a good boy, "'and we shall all live in Park Lane, "'and ma tante shall leave us all her money.' I shall try and walk tomorrow at three in the usual place. If Miss B is with me, you must come to dinner and bring an answer, and put it in the third volume of Porteous's sermons. But at all events, come to your own R. She addressed this to Miss Eliza Stiles at Mr Barnett's Saddler, Knightsbridge. "'and I trust my reader perceives that Miss Eliza Styles wore brass spurs "'and large curling mustachios, and was indeed no other than Captain Rawdon Crawley. "'Chapter Sixteen, The Letter on the Pincushion. "'How they were married is of no consequence. "'What is to stop a captain and a young lady over twenty-one "'from purchasing a license and marrying at any church?' "'My belief is that one day, when Miss Sharp had gone to pass the morning with her dear friend, Miss Amelia Sedley, a lady very like her, might have been seen entering a church in the city, along with a gentleman with dyed mustachios, who, after a quarter of an hour, escorted her to the hackney-coach in waiting. And who can question the probability of a gentleman marrying anybody? How many of the wise and learned have married their cooks?' Were not Achilles and Ajax both in love with their servant-maids? And are we to expect a heavy dragoon with strong desires and small brains, who had never controlled a passion in his life, to become prudent all of a sudden? If people only made prudent marriages, what a stop to population there would be! It seems to me that Mr. Rawdon's marriage was one of the most honest actions which we shall record about him in this history— no one will say it is unmanly to be captivated by a woman, or to marry her, and the admiration, the delight, the passion, the wonder, the unbounded confidence, and frantic adoration, which, by degrees, this big warrior came to regard little Rebecca, were feelings which ladies, at least, will say, did him credit. When she sang, Every note thrilled in his dull soul and tingled through his huge frame. When she spoke, he brought all the force of his brains to listen. If she made jokes, he used to revolve them in his mind and explode over them half an hour afterwards in the street, to the surprise of his comrades. How she sings! How she paints! thought he. How she rode that kicking mare at Queen's Crawley! And he would say to her, "'By Jove, Beck, you're fit to be commander-in-chief or archbishop of Canterbury by Jove!' So, when Becky told him that the crisis was near, and the time for action had arrived, Rawdon was ready to follow her orders. Rebecca easily found a means to get rid of Briggs, her companion, and met her faithful friend in the usual place on the next day.' She had thought over matters, and told Rawdon what she had decided. He agreed to everything, was quite sure that what she proposed was best, that Miss Crawley would certainly relent after a time. Had Rebecca's resolutions been entirely different, he would have followed them just as implicitly. "'You have head enough for us both, Beck,' said he. "'You're sure to get us out of this scrape. I never saw your equal.' and the love-stricken dragoon left her to carry out his part of her plan. This consisted simply in the hiring of quiet lodgings at Brompton for Captain and Mrs. Crawley, for Rebecca had prudently determined to fly. Rodden was only too happy. He had been entreating her to do this for weeks. He pranced off to engage the lodgings and ordered in a piano, and half a nursery house full of flowers and a heap of shawls, kid gloves, silk stockings, bracelets, and perfumery, bought with the profusion of blind love and unbounded credit. Then he went and dined nervously at the club, waiting until the great moment of his life should come. "'Rebecca's admirable refusal of Sir Pitt's offer "'and her secret unhappiness "'made Miss Crawley much more tender to her than usual. "'A marriage, or a refusal, or a proposal "'thrills through a whole household of women. "'Miss Crawley and Briggs indulged in the luxury of sentiment, "'and Rebecca became an object of interest to them. "'Little Sharp, with her secret griefs, "'was the heroine of the day.' That night, Rebecca sang more sweetly and talked more pleasantly than ever before. She twined herself round Miss Crawley's heart. She spoke lightly of Sir Pitt's proposal, as the foolish fancy of an old man, and her eyes filled with tears, and Briggs' heart filled with unutterable pangs of defeat. She said she desired nothing more than to remain forever with her dear mistress.' "'My dear little creature,' the old lady said, "'you may depend on that. "'As for going back to that odious brother of mine, "'it is out of the question. "'Here you must stay with me in Briggs.' "'If Roden Crowley had been present, "'instead of at the club nervously drinking claret, "'the pair might have gone down on their knees "'before the old spinster, "'revealed all, and been forgiven in a twinkling.' but that chance was denied to them, doubtless in order that this story of their consequent wonderful adventures might be written. There was a young maid-servant at the Park Lane house whose duty it was to knock at Miss Sharp's door with a jug of hot water every morning. This girl had a brother in Captain Crawley's troop, and I dare say she was aware of certain arrangements." At any rate, she bought a yellow shawl, a pair of green boots, and a blue hat with three guineas which Rebecca gave her, and no doubt it was for services rendered that Betty Martin was so bribed. On the second morning after Sir Pitt Crawley's offer, this maid knocked at the door of Rebecca's bedchamber. No answer came, and she knocked again. Then she opened the door and entered. The little white bed was as smooth as on the day before. On the table before the window lay a letter. Betty advanced towards it on tiptoe, looked round the room with an air of great wonder and satisfaction, took up the letter and grinned intensely as she turned it over, and finally carried it to Miss Briggs. Law, Miss Briggs! the girl exclaimed. Something must have happened. There's nobody in Miss Sharp's room. The bed ain't been slept in, and she's run away and left this letter for you, miss. What? cried Briggs, dropping her comb. An elopement? What is this? And he eagerly broke the seal and read. Dear Miss Briggs, your kind heart will pity and excuse me. "'With tears and prayers I leave the home where the poor orphan has always met with kindness. "'I go to my duty, to my husband. "'Yes, I am married. "'My husband commands me to seek the humble home which we call ours. "'Dearest Miss Briggs, break the news as your delicate sympathy will know how "'to my beloved benefactress.' "'Tell her I shed tears on her dear pillow "'that I have so often soothed in sickness. "'Oh, with what joy shall I return to dear Park Lane! "'How I tremble for the answer which is to seal my fate! "'When Sir Pitt deigned to offer me his hand, "'I told him that I was already a wife. "'Even he forgave me, "'but my courage failed me when I should have told him all.' That I could not be his wife, for I was his daughter, I am wedded to the best of men to Rawdon Crawley. I follow him to our humble home, as I would through the world. Oh, my excellent friend, ask Miss Crawley to receive her children with her previous affection. I can say no more. Your grateful Rebecca Crawley. Just as Briggs had finished reading this interesting document, Mrs. Firkin entered the room. "'Here's Mrs. Bute Crawley just arrived by the mail-coach from Hampshire and wants some tea. Will you come down, Miss?' And to Firkin's surprise, Briggs, in her dressing-gown, with curl-paper sticking out around her head, sailed down to Mrs. Bute with the letter in her hand when Mrs. Bute Crawley, warming herself at the parlor fire, heard the news of the secret marriage, she declared it was lucky that she should have arrived in time to assist poor dear Miss Crawley in bearing the shock. She said that Rebecca was an artful little hussy, of whom she had always been suspicious, and that, as for Roden Crawley, "'She never could understand his aunt's infatuation "'over that profligate, abandoned man. "'Then Mrs. Bute had a comfortable tea and toast, "'and as there was a vacant room in the house now, "'she ordered the footman to bring in her trunks. "'Miss Crawley took chocolate in bed "'and did not leave her room until nearly noon. "'The conspirators below agreed that they would spare "'the dear lady's feelings until she came downstairs.' Meanwhile, it was announced to her that Mrs. Bute Crawley had come from Hampshire and sent her love. Her arrival, which would not have caused any delight at another time, was hailed with pleasure now, Miss Crawley being pleased at the idea of a gossip with her sister-in-law about the late Lady Crawley, the funeral arrangements, and Sir Pitt's abrupt proposal to Rebecca— It was not until the old lady was ensconced in her usual armchair in the drawing-room that the conspirators prepared to break the news, with such an apparatus of mystery that they worked her up to a high degree of doubt and alarm. "'And she refused, Sir Pitt. My dear, Miss Crawley, prepare yourself for it,' Mrs. Bute said, "'because she couldn't help herself.' "'Of
2: course!'
1: Miss Crawley answered. ''She liked somebody else. I told Briggs so yesterday. Oh, my dear friend.'' Briggs gasped. ''She is married already.'' ''Married already?'' Mrs. Bute chimed in. ''Send her to me, the little sly wretch. How dared she not tell me?'' cried Miss Crawley. ''She won't come. Prepare yourself, dear friend. She's gone.'' gracious goodness and who's to make my chocolate send for her and make her come the old lady said she decarmed last night ma'am," cried mrs bute she left a letter for me briggs exclaimed
2: she's married to
1: to whom cried the spinster in nervous fury to to a relation speak at once don't drive me mad oh ma'am! she's married to to rawdon crawley Rawdon married Rebecca?
2: governess. "'Get out of my house, you fool, you stupid Briggs! "'How dare you! "'You're in the plot! "'You made him marry so I wouldn't leave him my money! "'You did, Martha Bute!' "'The
1: poor old lady screamed. "'Would I ask him to marry a drawing-master's daughter?' "'Her mother was a
2: Momorossi!'
1: "'cried the old lady, pulling at the bell. "'Her mother was an opera girl,' said Mrs. Bute. "'Miss Crawley shrieked and fainted. "'They were forced to take her back to her bedroom "'where she had hysterics. "'The doctor was sent for. "'Mrs. Bute took up the post of nurse by her bedside. "'Her relations ought to be around her,' "'that amiable woman said. "'At this point Sir Pitt arrived. "'Where's Becky?' he said. "'She's coming with me to Queen's Crawley.' "'Have you not heard the astonishing news about her marriage?' "'Riggs asked.' What's that to do with me? said Sir Pitt. I know she's married. Tell her to come down. Are you not aware, sir, Miss Brick said,
2: that she has left our roof to the dismay of Miss Crawley, who is nearly killed by the news of Captain Rawdon's union with her? When
1: Sir Pitt Crawley heard that Rebecca was married to his son, he broke out in a fury, with language which I shall not repeat, as indeed it sent poor Briggs shuddering out of the room, and with her we will shut the door upon his frenzied figure. Suppose the old lady doesn't come round, Rawdon said to his little wife, as they sat together in the snug Brompton lodgings. She had been trying the new piano. "'The new gloves fitted her perfectly. "'The new shawls became her wonderfully. "'The new rings glittered on her little hands. "'Suppose she doesn't come round, eh, Becky?' "'I'll make your fortune,' she said, and patted his cheek. "'You can do anything,' he said, kissing the little hand. "'By Jove you can, and we'll drive down to the star and garter and dine by Jove.' Chapter 17. How Captain Dobbin bought a piano. If there is any place in Vanity Fair where satire and sentiment go arm in arm together, it is at one of those public gatherings which are advertised every day on the last page of the Times newspaper, when Mr. Hammerdown auctions off the library, furniture, silver plate, wardrobe, and choice wines of the deceased or bankrupt. Even the most selfish Vanity farian must feel some sympathy at these events. My lord Dives' remains are in the family vault. His gravestone is being inscribed. What guest at Dives' table can pass the familiar house without a sigh? What a number of friends jolly old Dives had, and how nobly he entertained them. He was rather pompous and dull, perhaps, but would not such wine and food make any conversation pleasant? We must get some of his burgundy at any price, the mourners cry. How changed the house is, though! The front is patched over with notices describing the furniture for sale in staring capitals. They have hung a shred of carpet out of an upstairs window. Porters are lounging on the dirty steps. The hall swarms with dingy guests. Old women have invaded the upper floors, pinching the bed curtains, poking into the feathers, and clapping the wardrobe drawers to and fro. Enterprising young housekeepers are measuring the looking-glasses and hangings, and Mr. Hammerdown is sitting on the great mahogany dining-table, waving the ivory hammer, and using all his eloquence, imploring, commanding, bellowing, until down comes the hammer like fate. And we pass to the next lot. It was rather late in this sale. The excellent furniture... The rare and famous wines, the rich and complete set of family plate had been sold on the previous days. Some of the best had been purchased for his master by the butler of our friend John Osborne of Russell Square. A small portion of the plate had been bought by some young stockbrokers from the city, and now at the sale of minor objects, the auctioneer was expounding the merits of a picture to an audience that was not so select as on the previous days of the auction.
2: "'Number 369,'
1: roared Mr. Hammerdown,
2: "'portrait of a gentleman on an elephant. Whole bed for the gentleman on the elephant. Lift up the picture, Blowman.
1: A long, pale, military-looking gentleman, seated at the mahogany table, could not help grinning as this valuable lot was shown by Mr. Bloman.
2: "'Turn the elephant to the captain, Bloman. What shall we say, sir, for the elephant?'
1: The captain, blushing
2: awkwardly, turned away his head. "'Shall we say twenty guineas?' cried the auctioneer. Fifteen, five. Five! Name your price, the elephant!' "'The gentleman without the elephant is worth five pound. "'He's a precious
1: big one,' said a professional wag, "'at which there was a general giggle in the room. "'How
2: much for this lot? "'Come, gentlemen, don't keep me here all day.'
1: "'Somebody bid five shillings. "'Near the bidder was an officer with a young lady on his arm, "'who were both highly amused, "'and to whom, finally, this lot was knocked down for half a guinea.' The captain at the table looked discomposed when he spied this pair, and he turned his back upon them. Of all the other articles which Mr. Hammerdown auctioned that day, we will mention only one. A little square piano. The grand piano had been disposed of previously. The young lady tried this with a skillful hand, and when its turn came, her agent began to bid. But there was an opposition here. "'The officer at the table. "'A brisk battle ensued over this little piano, "'encouraged by Mr. Hammerdown. "'At last, the elephant purchaser and his lady abandoned the race, "'and the military captain became the owner of the little square piano. "'He sat up as if he was relieved, "'and the unsuccessful competitors caught a glimpse of him. "'The lady said to her friend, "'Why, Rawdon, it's Captain Dobbin.' Maybe Becky was discontented with the new piano her husband had hired for her, or perhaps its owners had fetched it away as it was not paid for, or perhaps she had a particular attachment for the one which she had just tried to buy, recollecting old days when she used to play upon it in the sitting room of our dear Amelia Sedley. For the sale was at the Sedleys' house in Russell Square. Good old John Sedley was a ruined man. "'His name had been proclaimed as a defaulter on the stock exchange, "'and his bankruptcy had followed. "'Mr. Osborne's butler came to buy some of the famous port wine "'to transfer to the cellars over the way. "'As for one dozen silver spoons and forks, three young stockbrokers, Messrs Dale Spigot and Dale of Threadneedle Street, "'who had received kindnesses from the old man in better days, "'sent this little spar out of the wreck with their love.' To good Mrs. Sedley. Respecting the piano, as it had been Amelia's, and as Captain William Dobbin could no more play it than he could dance on the tightrope, it seems that he did not buy it for his own use. The piano arrived that evening at a small cottage in a street off the Fulham Road, with a romantic name of St. Adelaide Villas. The houses there look like baby houses, the people looking out of the first-floor windows, must, you would think, have their feet in the parlors below. The shrubs in the little gardens bloom with a perennial display of children's clothing, and little beer-pots hang on the railings sunning themselves. Here, in the evenings, you see City Clark's padding wearily home. Here it was that Mr. Clapp, Mr. Sedley's clerk, lived. "'and here the good old gentleman hid with his wife and daughter when the crash came. Jos Sedley, when news of the family misfortune reached him, did not come to London, "'but he wrote and told his mother to ask his agents for any money they needed, "'so his broken-spirited parents had no present poverty to fear. "'This done, Jos went on at the boarding-house at Cheltenham pretty much as before,' He drove his curricle. He drank his claret. He told his Indian stories. His present of money, needful as it was, made little impression on his parents. Yet, on receiving the packet of forks and spoons with the young stockbroker's love, old Mr. Sedley burst out crying like a child. Rebecca had been entirely surprised at the sight of the comfortable old house ransacked by bargainers, its quiet family treasures given up to public plunder. A month after her flight, she had thought of Amelia, and Rawdon had been willing to see George Osborne again. "'He's a very agreeable acquaintance, Beck. I'd like to sell him another horse, huh, and play a few more games of billiards with him. He'd be useful just now.' <laughs> It is not to be supposed that Rawdon Crawley wished to cheat Mr. Osborne at play, but only to take that fair advantage of him which almost every sporting gentleman in vanity fair considers to be his due from his neighbor. The old aunt had not yet come round, although a month had elapsed. Rawdon's letters were sent back unopened. Miss Crawley never stirred out. She was unwell, and Mrs. Bute never left her. "'Crawley and his wife both augured evil "'from the continued presence of Mrs. Bute. "'Gad, I began to see now "'why she was always bringing us together at Queen's Crawley,' Rawdon said. "'But I don't regret it if you don't.' "'The captain was still in an amorous rapture with his wife, "'who rewarded him with a kiss, "'and was indeed gratified by the generous confidence of her husband.' If he had but a little more brains, she thought to herself, I might make something of him. But she never let him perceive her opinion. She listened tirelessly to his stories of the stable and the mess, laughed at all his jokes, and showed the greatest interest in his raffish friends. When he came home, she was alert and happy. When he went out, she pressed him to go. When he stayed at home, She played and sang for him, made him good drinks, supervised his dinner, warmed his slippers, and steeped his soul in comfort. Thus, Rawdon Crawley found himself a very happy and submissive married man. His former haunts knew him not. They asked about him once or twice at his clubs, but did not miss him much. His cheerful wife, his little comfortable lodgings, snug meals, and homely evenings had all the charms of novelty and secrecy. The marriage was not yet declared to the world. His creditors would have come rushing on him if they had known that he was united to a woman without fortune. Becky saw only a few of her husband's male companions, who were all charmed with her. The little dinners, the laughing and chatter and music delighted the soldiers, but her modesty never forsook her for a moment, and Crawley's reputation as a fire-eating warrior was a further defence to his little wife. Rodden Crawley lived comfortably on credit. He had a large capital of debts, which, laid out judiciously, will carry a man along for many years. Everything was plentiful in his house, but ready money, of which they pretty soon felt the lack. Reading the Gazette one day, and seeing the announcement of Lieutenant G. Osborne to be captain by purchase, Rawdon expressed the willingness to see him again, which ended in the visit to Russell Square and the sale. "'But when Rawdon and his wife wanted to ask Captain Dobbin "'about the catastrophe which had befallen the Sedleys, "'the captain had vanished, "'and such information as they got was from a stray porter. "'They're like vultures after a battle,' said Becky. "'Don't know. Never was in action, my dear,' said Rawdon. "'He was a very kind old man, Mr. Sedley,' Rebecca said. "'I'm really sorry he's gone wrong.' Oh, stockbrokers, bankrupts, <laughs> used to it, you know," Ron replied. "I wish we could have afforded some of the plate," his wife continued sentimentally. Five and twenty guineas was monstrously dear for that little piano. It only cost five and thirty when Amelia chose it at Broadwoods." Osborne will cry off now, I suppose. How cut up your pretty little friend will be, eh, Becky? I dare say she'll recover. Becky said with a smile, and they drove on and talked about something else.
0: Thanks for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Vanity Fair. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Nimer. This is the latest book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Other selections include Showboat, Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, Pride and Prejudice, and The Woman in White. You can also help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network.